Fun seekers, welcome in, welcome in to another edition of the podcast. Frankie V with you, as I am every time we do one of these. I want to ask you, if you're new to the podcast and you haven't yet done this, if you enjoy these episodes, if you would go over to iTunes and rate the episode, I would really appreciate it because what that does is it helps other people find the podcast. Also, if one of the episodes blesses you, inspires you, challenges you, or encourages you, then I would encourage you to send the link to your friends so that they can benefit as well. Podcast takes a lot of my time. There's no charge for it. I do it as a blessing to the body of Christ, but one of the things that keeps me going and keeps me doing it is knowing that you all are listening, number one. You're benefiting from it, number two, and you're sharing it with others. And as long as that keeps going, then I'm going to keep putting these out. I have many, many more conference messages that I've given over the years that have been sitting in the archives and have never been released publicly, and I plan to put those out in the coming days. You could also go to frankviola.info and click on the podcast link, and you will see all of the podcast episodes. There are over 90 right now, and you can listen to each and every one of them freely and share it with your friends. There's some interviews that I've done recently on my upcoming book that we'll put on here that contain valuable content. And then I'm really looking forward to the 100th episode. Now, what's interesting is in the last episode, I took a phone call from a gentleman who was literally kicked out of a buffet. And According to the podcast metrics, over 2,000 people have listened to that episode, yet not one person commented on that phone call. So I'm really curious to know what you thought about that. And the reason why I want to know is because I plan to take phone calls in the future. At least, that's my present leaning. So let me know in the comments on the blog. Today, I am going to be releasing to the public for the first time... The first message in a series of messages that I delivered in Southern California in July of 2007. And the series was entitled, Reimagining God's Eternal Purpose. This is the introduction to the message. And I want to say something to those of you who are Reformed or Reformed in background. As you're listening to the beginning of this introduction, you may be thinking that you know where I'm going. It's possible you're going to assume that I'm going to the Westminster Confession, which says that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, if that's your assumption, you're incorrect. I do not believe that the Westminster Confession, by any stretch of the imagination, the best statement about what God's chief end is for humans. I would say that certainly glorifying God is an aspect of it, I would say that certainly human beings enjoying the Lord is an aspect of it. So that statement is correct, but it is not complete. And it does not touch the hem of the garment when we're talking about 
God's eternal purpose, his ultimate intention, his grand mission. It is something that is so much higher, so much more glorious, so much richer, so much more powerful and majestic than simply glorifying God, which needs to be explained in the first place and enjoying him forever. So again, the confession is correct, but it is not complete and it does not do justice to God's eternal purpose. So that's not where I'm going. It is my intention and desire to release all of the messages, as well as many other messages that I've given in other conferences over the years on the eternal purpose of God, and make them part of an online course entitled The Deeper Journey into God's Eternal Purpose. And Lord willing, that course will release in 2015 sometime. So, having said all that, take a listen to the message. If you cannot wait for the course, then I would suggest that you get a book entitled From Eternity to Here by Frank Viola. It's an exposition from Genesis to Revelation on God's eternal purpose and grand mission. However, the messages in the course will go far beyond the material that's found in that book. May 5th, mark it down, May 5th is the day that my new book, Jesus Now, Unveiling the Present-Day Ministry of Christ, will release And if you get it from a certain bookstore, not Amazon, but I will unveil that bookstore on my blog on May 5th. If you get it from that bookstore, you will get the book at 50% off retail, which will beat any bookstore anywhere. And you will also receive the study guide that goes with the book for free. So be looking for that May 5th, the same day that Jack Bauer will reappear on television if you're a 24 fan. All right, here's the message reimagining God's eternal purpose. I believe that we Christians have majored in minors, and we have missed the big picture. We have missed the main point. This weekend, what I intend to do is readjust your entire thinking about the purpose of the Christian life to totally reorient your perspective as to why you would become a Christian in the first place and what your purpose is on this earth. To put it another way, what is God's ultimate, central, all-governing purpose? In corporate America, they talk about the 50,000-foot view. That's the big picture, opposed to being down in the weeds. Those are the critical details. In order to accomplish any endeavor successfully, you've got to have the 50,000-foot view. You've got to have the big picture, but you also have to have the critical details. What I want to do this weekend, brothers and sisters, is to give you, as best I know how, an introduction. Underline the word introduction. An introduction to the big picture. You can entitle these messages, Reimagining God's purpose, or better put, reimagining the purpose of God. Now, are you ready to get into this? Okay, brothers and sisters, I want to read four passages of Scripture. We are going to look at the New Testament tonight at different points of this message. If you have a Bible, I invite you to read along with me. We're going to start with Romans 8, verse 28, Romans 8, verse 28. And we know, (laughs) 
Uh, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And I would like you to circle or underline that word purpose. What purpose is He talking about? That's a question that we ought to ask ourselves. What purpose? Okay, now turn to Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we will look at verse 11. Ephesians 1.11 Also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to His purpose. And you'll want to underline His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will. And now let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. Who saved us, speaking of God, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus for all eternity. And you want to underline the words, His own purpose. And I would like to draw your attention to the word calling. Brothers and sisters, you have been called to a purpose. And it is God's purpose. And now let's look at the last passage for right now. And that's back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. And I will say this to you, that this phrase that Paul uses, he only uses it once in the New Testament, but I will say this to you, the entire New Testament is an unfolding of this particular phrase. Ephesians 3 verse 11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, and I would like you to underline the words eternal purpose eternal purpose in all the years that I was a Christian before I left the institutional church I heard hundreds of sermons like I know you have I never once in my life heard a message or a sermon or a study on the eternal purpose of God and the amazing thing about that is <laughs> the eternal purpose is the subject of the entire Bible So this weekend, I want to talk to you about the closest and dearest thing to God. It is at the center of His throbbing heart. It is His dream. Beyond salvation and beyond redemption, but deep within His beating heart, there is God's eternal purpose. And when I was 27 years old, I got a glimpse of that eternal purpose and it wiped everything off the table that I knew as a Christian. It wrecked my life. It ruined me. I fell in love with the Lord. <laughs> I fell in love with Jesus Christ. And it blew my mind. And I had a passion for God and for His purpose that has never left me. If you're a lethargic Christian, you're a lazy Christian. You're a purposeless Christian. You don't understand what you're involved in. You are involved in something so glorious and so high and so incredible. It is His eternal purpose. 
That's what I want to talk to you about this weekend. And I want to say this to you again. It is an introduction. That's all it is. But I hope by the mercies of God that you will be changed by it. So I'm going to seek to reorient your thinking, readjust your mindset. And if that can happen with some of you in this room, and if it can remain, that will be a work of God, trust me. But it will change you, and it will hopefully change the churches that you're in, for the better. Here is the mindset that most Christians have been given and that most Christians have inherited. You get saved. You meet God. And this God of yours, I'm going to tell you something that you've never articulated before, but if you think about it, you may find it of interest. This God of yours was invented for one reason. He's invented to take care of you. He was invented to meet your needs. The gospel that most of us heard was this. God has come into our life to save us from hell so that we don't have to be judged. To save us from our sins. To bless us. To meet our needs. If we're sick, to heal us. If we're hurting, to comfort us. He is there to meet our spiritual needs and our physical needs. And we also have a need to feel that we're of value. And in order to meet that need, then we have to do certain things like try to get other people saved or help other people. And so we go to church, we live a good life, we try to be like Jesus, we try to help people. God's there to meet our needs and then we die and go to heaven. And for most Christians, that is the gospel they've been given. In fact, most of the sermons that you will hear are aimed at you and your needs and how to get God to meet those needs. If you strip all of it back and you look at it, it's about your needs and how God will meet your needs. Or how to meet the needs of other human beings. How to get other people saved. How to get other people healed. Brothers and sisters, I want to make an observation. The root of that gospel is human beings. It's mankind. It's man's need. Now, I will not take anything away from our God being one who meets our needs. Thank the Lord I stand here because God has met my needs. Praise the Lord for that. But there is something in God's beating heart that's not for you. And it's not for your fellow man. It is for Him. He has a purpose. He has an intention. He has a desire. He has a heartbeat. And it's for Him. And it goes beyond our needs. He has a purpose. Rick Warren wrote a book in 2002 called, what is it? The Purpose Driven Life. And it sold over 30 million copies. Whew. Now that tells me one thing above everything else. And that is that there is a yearning in the heart of human beings wherein they wish to know and discover their purpose. There has to be. Or else, who would read The Purpose Driven Life? I will not take anything away from that book. I think the Lord has used it. I have a copy on my shelf. I bought it. I bought a copy. I'm one of the 30 million. 
but I bought it for reasons that probably will surprise you. I'm going to confess my sins here. I wanted to find out why did this sell 30 million copies. As an author, I want to know that. I realized, like, well, how come people are buying it? What? <laughs> as good as that book is, there's nothing in it about God's eternal purpose. You can read that book from A to Z, beginning to end, you will still be in the fog about his eternal purpose. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. You will never know your purpose until you find out what God's purpose is. And you will never have the passion of the beating heart of God until you understand what his passion is. There have been many people who have been gloriously saved, served the Lord with all their lives, better Christians than me. Died and gone to heaven, never knowing what God's eternal purpose is. There's something in his heart that he wants for himself. And I'll say this above everything else. His purpose is beyond the needs of human beings. It is first and foremost unto him and not unto us. Now, let's go a little further. Let's ask ourselves a very important question. Why did God create? I think we all know why He created. Because if you can answer that question, you're going to get very close to God's eternal purpose. Why did God create? We know the answer to that, right? I mean, how many of you are from a Southern Baptist background? Raise your hand, please, if you are. If you're Southern Baptist, you know why God created. And that is... To save you from your sins. That's why God created. God's purpose, if you ask most Christians, what is the purpose of God? What's the, the chief central purpose? Is to save us from our sins. Well, I have a question. If God's purpose, His ultimate purpose, is to save man from his sins. I use man, mankind, humankind. Sisters, you're included. If He's to save man from his sins if that's his purpose and that's why he created then something's not right because he created man not in need of salvation right there was no fall when he created therefore he must have had something else in mind for his creation are you following that how can it be to save man from his sins when man didn't fall yet? He had something else he wanted for humanity. Well, then we know what the purpose of God is. To heal the world. Well, the world didn't need to be healed when God created man because they had not fallen. So there's something else that's in the beating heart of God. Well, let me put it this way. How come we've missed the eternal purpose? How come we hardly ever hear it preached on? And why is it that most of what we hear in evangelical Christianity today, when we juice it down, is God's purpose is to save people from their sins, heal them, change the world, whatever it is? Why is it? And why is it so man-centered? And it's because we have begun in the wrong place. Let me explain that. The gospel that is presented today, the starting point, most always is Genesis 3 with the fall. 
man falls. Jesus comes to bring man back. Well, guess what? There's two chapters before Genesis 3 that have no fall in them. And by and large, whenever we hear Genesis 1 and 2 preach, we hear about the beauty of creation. And then it goes into a polemic against evolution. And that's pretty much what we get out of Genesis 1 and 2. God created, the creationists are right, the evolutionists are wrong. We miss, forgive me here, I believe, we miss the whole point of Genesis 1 and 2. So we begin in the wrong place in the Old Testament. We also begin in the wrong place in the New Testament. You know where we begin as evangelical Christians? In Romans and Galatians. And Ephesians and Colossians are footnotes in the gospel that we hear. Now some mainstream Christian churches will begin in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And they'll look at the life of Jesus and they'll say, okay, here's the life of Jesus on earth. We need to be like Jesus. So let's go ahead and do what he did. I have a suggestion to make. We miss the eternal purpose because we start in the wrong place. We are beginning to learn a story at midpoint rather than at the beginning. Here's where we have to begin. We've got to begin not in Genesis 1 or Genesis 2. We have to begin in Colossians and Ephesians. That's where we got to begin. And parts of the Gospel of John. Do you know why? Because Ephesians and Colossians takes us back before creation. It takes us into the mind and heart of God before the foundation of the world. And it gives us a glimpse into the counsels of God before he said, let. And when you look at the Gospel of John very carefully, Jesus Christ, <laughs> spilling out of his words, we get an insight and a glimpse into his pre-existence. Did you know that Jesus of Nazareth was around a lot longer than 5 B.C.? <laughs> Before he penetrated the womb of Mary, he's eternal. And if you read the Gospel of John carefully, this comes out of him. Brothers and sisters, God had an eternal purpose before creation. There was something that was conceived in his bosom. Something he wanted for himself. And creation came out of that. And then Genesis 1 and 2 give us a beautiful glimpse of what that is. And then the fall happens. So, we've got to begin before the beginning if we're going to understand His eternal purpose. Let me give you an illustration to describe to you the relationship between salvation and redemption and the eternal purpose of God, okay? I live in Florida. Let's just say I work for the FBI. There is a mission that I've been called to I must drive to Washington, D.C. from Florida. I'm not going to fly there. I have to drive there. I've been ordered to do that. And I'm going to meet with some diplomats and some of the FBI agents in Washington, D.C. to receive my mission. This is a very important mission. It has to do with anti-terrorist activity. I'm so excited. So I get in my car. I start driving north on 95 to get to Washington, D.C. When I get to North Carolina, all four tires blow out. I almost hit a tree. Thankfully, 
there is a tow truck there who works for a very successful, well-known, benevolent repair station. And they repair cars for free. It's their uh, ministry. So they drive me over to Asheville, North Carolina. Has anybody ever been to Asheville, North Carolina? You've heard about it. Very beautiful place, right? And I watch the team of this repair center put new tires on my car. And uh, they give it an oil change. And I see them doing this for other cars, too. And it's a free service. My car, which was ruined, has been repaired. And I look at Asheville, and it's such a wonderful, beautiful place. And I'm captivated. And all of a sudden, I forget. I totally forget about Washington, D.C. I decide to move to Asheville. And I'm going to join the folks that are repairing cars, because I really believe in their cause. Now, what happened? I had an objective. I was going somewhere. It was Washington, D.C. I had a mission. It was a purpose. But I lost sight of it, and I got stuck on a detour. And what did I do? I camped out there. I pitched my tent there. And I forgot that I was supposed to be somewhere else. Well, brothers and sisters, God had an eternal purpose. And when He created us human beings, He was taking us somewhere. He had an objective. He had a goal. He was taking us to Washington, D.C. But something happened. Our tires blew out in North Carolina. Man fell. Thankfully, Jesus Christ came. Now, the only reason why he came, the reason why he wasn't only to save man from his sins. That was a part of it, but there was another part we don't hear about often. So what happened is he restored us. He brought us to the repair center. Right? Why did he bring us there? So that we can get back on I-95 and get to Washington, D.C., the place where he was taking us. But what have we done? We've all pitched our tents in Asheville. And we're occupied. We rejoice in our salvation. We rejoice in our healing. Praise the Lord what God has blessed me. And I want to bless you. And it's all centered on us humans. And we have a God out here burning with a passion. It is His eternal purpose and it is outside the reaches of redemption. It's something that He had in His heart before the fall. And brothers and sisters, that's why I'm here this weekend. I want to communicate this purpose to you. He has a place for us to go. Let me give you another illustration. I take a pottery class and I create this beautiful vase for my wife. She doesn't know I'm doing it. But every week I go into my pottery class and I'm creating this vase. And I finished it. It's gorgeous. Ceramic, painted. I put a gold frame around it. Beautiful. It's a masterpiece. And I'm going to give it to her for her birthday. And the purpose is for me to put flowers in it for her. And I'm going to buy flowers every month. And I'm going to use that vase to put flowers in to bless my sweet wife. Well, I hide it in the guest room, in the closet, because I don't want her to see it. I'm bringing it out for her birthday. We go away for a weekend, and a burglar breaks into the house. Interestingly enough, after clearing out many items, he makes his way to the guest room. He finds the vase. He sees the gold. He takes it. As he's walking out the door, the alarm goes off. 
He runs outside the backyard, drops the vase, drops the other belongings, gets out of Dodge. We come back, I can't find the vase. Two weeks go by and a little boy who's playing out near the house finds it and he brings it to me. She's not home and it's dirty, it's cracked, the gold is bent. So I bring it back to the pottery class and I repair it. First of all, it's dirty, so I clean it up. Then I fill in the cracks. Then I unbend the gold and I make it beautiful again. And I give it to my dear wife on her birthday and she puts it on the dining room table and I get busy with work and I forget to put flowers in it. Now, brothers and sisters, here's the analogy. A burglar came in and stole us away from the Lord. And we got dirty, we got bent, we got marred. We were his vessel. And he took us to the pottery class and the shop and he unbent us and he washed us and he cleaned us. But we're sitting on the dining room table and we forgot the purpose for which it was created. No flowers go in it. And that's where we are today as Christians. God has an eternal purpose. And most of us don't even know what it is. Brothers and sisters, God's eternal purpose has everything to do with what you're doing right now. That's why I'm talking to you about this. I want us to look at some passages and I want to talk to you about the point of reference. The point of reference for the Christian. The only reason for you to live the Christian life is to fulfill the eternal purpose of God. How's that for simple? And the only reason why your church should exist, why any church should exist, but especially those of you who are outside the institutional church, the only reason is to fulfill God's eternal purpose. That makes this weekend very applicable. So, having said that, I want to talk to you about the point of reference for the Christian. What was the point of reference for Jesus Christ? We're going to quickly look at John, some passages in John. John chapter 5, verse 30. And we'll just look at a couple passages, and I'll just give you references if you're taking notes to look at some others. The point of reference for Jesus Christ moved away from himself and it was unto his father we'll say that again the point of reference for the Lord Jesus Christ moved away from himself and it was unto his father in John 530 I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear I judge and my judgment is just but I do not seek my own will but the will of him who sent me. And you can change the word will to purpose. I don't seek my own purpose. I seek the purpose of him who sent me. The point of reference for Jesus Christ was his father and his father's purpose. Look at chapter 5 verse 59. Oh, that's not even a passage, is it? Uh, well, I don't know what it is, but it says, I can do nothing of myself. What I see the father do, this is what I do. In John 6.57, oh, this is a powerful verse of Scripture, and I, I have lived in this for years. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, and that can be translated by the Father, is I live by the Father, 
So he that eats me, he also will live by me. Jesus Christ lived because of the Father. He lived by the Father. You can write this down. You don't have to turn there. But in John 7, 16 to 18, he again makes a reference to the fact that he lives unto his Father. He lives by his Father. He lives through his Father. And he lives to his Father. The point of reference for Jesus Christ was away from himself and unto his Father. Now, let's look at some of the epistles and look at the point of reference for the early Christians. Galatians 2.19 And I have been stressing to you that the point of reference for our gospel, the way we think as Christians, is ultimately our needs. And if we're, if we're a little bit more mature, it's the needs of other human beings. But ultimately, we're at the center. And I'll tell you this, when you think about spiritual growth, I know you all have thought about this. You ever thought, how am I doing spiritually? Am I growing? Where am I at? Huh? And brothers and sisters, you can get absorbed and obsessed with your own spiritual growth. Do you realize that when you think that way, you are still at the center? Alright, look at the early Christians in their point of reference. Galatians 2 verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, I'm going to make a statement here. God is one with His purpose. God is one with His passion. You can't separate the eternal purpose of God, that which His beating heart throbs for. You can't separate that from God Himself. It's an expression of who He is. Mothers who have children. Raise your hand if you have a little crumb cruncher running around. Raise your hand. Okay. Is not your heart toward your child? Not your passion bound up with your... Is it not true that you can't separate your love for your child from who you are? It's who you are, right? You can't separate the purpose of God from who He is. Therefore, I want to read these passages a little bit differently. When we read to God or unto God, I want us to read to God's purpose. Or unto God's purpose. Because God is one with His purpose. So let's read this again. For through the law... I died to the law so that I might live to God's purpose, which is for God, brothers and sisters. Now look at Romans 6, and I'll just spend a little time in Romans 6, just to show you the point of reference for the early Christians. And Paul not only was speaking about himself, but he was speaking to Christian communities that understood these things. Chapter 6, verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now, is that past tense or present tense? Okay, now we saw when Jesus was on the earth, who did he live unto? His father was his point of reference. Guess what, brothers and sisters, that hasn't changed. Jesus Christ still lives unto God. Where are you right now? Do you know where you are? you have any idea where you are right now? Yes, I'm in Simi Valley, California. No, you're not. Do you know where you are? You are in Christ, who lives unto His Father. Now, we're going to unfold that some this weekend. But just chew on that a bit. Alright, verse 11. 
Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God, or to God's purpose, in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ lives unto God in His purpose. I am in Christ, therefore I live unto God in His purpose. Verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God, to God's purpose, to God and His purpose, as those who are alive from the dead. And now the key passage, and you will hear me quote this all throughout this weekend, is Romans 11, verse 36. And I'm actually going to do something I never do. <laughs> I'm going to have you repeat it with me after I read it. Verse 36 of Romans 11. For from Him, and through Him, and to Him, are all things. Alright. The starting point, the point of reference for the Christian is God. For from Him are all things. We begin with God. We begin with God in eternity past. We begin with God and His purpose before creation. For from that point, from Him, comes everything else. Not me and my need. My spiritual needs, my physical needs. Boy, we got needs. And not even the needs of my fellow human beings. For all things are from Him. And not only that, He is not only the source, He is the means. For all things are through Him. He's going somewhere. He has a purpose. And everything in this planet is moving in that direction. You see, brothers and sisters, when the fall happened, God did not abandon His eternal purpose. It just delayed it a little bit. He never gave up. When Adam fell, He never gave up His eternal purpose. He never said, okay, gosh, I don't have my eternal purpose. That which I have yearned for from before time. That which was the provocation of creation. I've lost it. Adam fell, so I give it up now and I'm going to go to plan B. And so now my purpose is to save man from his sins. No, he never gave it up. And it's all over the New Testament. And Paul says, you've been called to his purpose. And then all things are to him. Brothers and sisters, the point of reference, our orientation, the arrows of the compass are to point to Him and not to ourselves. And that's what I'm seeking to do this weekend is to bend those arrows away from us to Him. And I'll tell you something, one of the most liberating things you will know as a Christian is to forget about you and your needs. To forget about it. But occupy yourself with His eternal purpose. And guess what? There's such liberty there. There's one more passage I want to read. 2 Corinthians 5. So the point of reference for Jesus Christ and the point of reference for the early Christians is God and His purpose and not our needs. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. And this is the last passage we'll read tonight. Get a hold of this. Speaking of Jesus Christ, He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him. And if you please, but for His purpose. For Him and His purpose, who died and rose again on their behalf. Brothers and sisters, this is in such stark contrast to the gospel that's proclaimed today, which puts you and me at the center. 
Listen to the prayers of most Christians. Listen to your own prayers. There's something in God's heart that's for Him. This is what I'm trying to communicate. There is an eternal purpose that's for Him. And the beautiful thing is, we have been invited to participate in this eternal purpose. I believe that the reason why the Christian life doesn't work for most Christians, and that's a statement and a half, isn't it? First of all, I believe that the Christian life doesn't work for most Christians. If you want to go work out, the door's right there. If we're honest, most of us will confess. It doesn't seem to work the way it's presented. It doesn't seem to work the way that this preacher's saying it's supposed to work. The sales pitch that was given to me doesn't really seem to meet its billing. I believe it's because our point of reference is wrong. We started in the wrong place. You remember a guy named Copernicus and the planets revolving around the sun? Well, astronomers, Western astronomers for centuries believed in a geocentric universe. A geocentric view of the planets where the earth was the center and all the planets moved around. Okay? And that was accepted for many, many, many years until more knowledge was gained and the calculations didn't work with that model. And then an iconoclast named Copernicus, he came along and said, you know what? We started in the wrong place. This is why nothing works. This is why the math doesn't work out. The earth is not the center. The sun is the center. The heliocentric view of the universe. And boy, he was persecuted. Woo! He caught it. But eventually the astronomers say, you know what? As they had their calculators out back then, hey, it's starting to work. I guess you're right. Brothers and sisters, when we make man's need the beginning point and the center of the Christian gospel, we're like pre-Copernicus astronomers trying to figure out the planets with the earth as the center. And I'm suggesting to you that our entire orientation must totally, completely, drastically change. That there is a purpose in God that is from God, that is through God, and that is to God. And if we can catch hold of what it is, or even get a glimpse of it, and reorient our entire thinking, it's not man's need, it's not our need, it's his intention, his purpose, his heartbeat, then brothers and sisters, things will start to work out a little bit differently. I need nine weeks because I know the question that's going on in your, your mind right now. It's, it's been going on for the last 30 minutes. Frank, okay, fine, great, wonderful, but what is God's eternal purpose? How many want to admit to that? Did you thought that, right? Well, brothers and sisters, I cannot, even if I tried, I was at lunch. You can witness to this. I was at lunch this afternoon. I don't know how we got on it, but we got on the eternal purpose. Uh, a brother was wanting to come this weekend, but he's not going to be able to. And he asked me a little bit about what I've been sharing about. I said that, that which is at the center of the beating heart of God is eternal purpose. And talked a little bit about it. He wanted to know what it was. He said, put it in a sentence. I said, it's impossible. I said, to put it in a sentence is like putting the Mississippi River in a teacup. It's impossible. 
Brothers and sisters, it is so vast. It is so high. It is so glorious. It is so wonderful. It is so powerful. It is so deep. It cannot be described in a sentence. And if you try to do it, you cheapen it. And you dilute it. It takes a revelation. Let me give you an example of how powerful this is, okay? I'm off the subject, but I'm really not. I'm taking a tangent here. Let's go back to the first century. Do you realize that the ministry of Paul of Tarsus was mostly to heathen, blood-drinking, paganistic Gentiles who were swapping wives, offering children as sacrifices. They had no morals at all. They were wicked. They were vile. They were pagans. They were mostly illiterate. They were very unhappy. They had no joy. Paul of Tarsus would walk into a town with these kind of people in it. He would bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to Jews they were rejecting, and he would go to these heathens. He would spend four to five months with a group of pagan, heathen, blood-drinking Gentiles. He would proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ to them in four to five months. He preached to them a gospel. Then he left them on their own. He didn't come back for two years. Baby Christians. And these people were being persecuted by their neighbors, both Jews and Gentiles. And he would come back, and brothers and sisters, they were still there, still meeting. And not only that, they fell in love with each other. And they had joy. And they stopped swapping their wives. Except for Corinth had a little bit of problem with prostitutes. But even so, they weren't perfect by any means. They struggled with their old life, but something changed. And I want you to think about that. And he didn't send a pastor in there to preach them to death every week. He walked out and didn't come back for sometimes two years. And they're still there following the Lord, expressing the Lord together without a pastor. Now how on earth could he do that? And what on earth did he preach for four to five months, brother? There's one letter in the entire New Testament that was written to a group of churches Paul did not meet and it is the only letter in the New Testament that he wrote that was not a letter that was dealing with a crisis in a church when he wrote Corinth he was dealing with a crisis in a church they were getting drunk at the Lord's table they were dividing from one another the brothers were suing the other brothers they were sleeping with prostitutes they were going crazy on the gifts of the Spirit, and so he dealt with that. He dealt with problems in Thessalonica. He dealt with problems in all the churches. But there's one letter that he wrote to churches he had never met before, and he was not dealing with a crisis. It was his pure message. Anybody have an idea? It's not Romans. It's Ephesians. Now you say, well, wait a minute. Paul was in Ephesus. Well, most scholars will tell you that, and you can verify this, but most scholars will tell you that the word Ephesus is not in most of the manuscripts. It was inserted. It's in some of them. Most scholars believe that the letter called Ephesians was a circuit letter that was written to all the churches in Asia Minor that were raised up by Paul's co-workers, Timothy, Titus, etc. You see those churches mentioned in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation. Most scholars believe that, but I'll tell you this, even if you don't believe that, that is the only letter in the New Testament that is not dealing with a crisis. What you have in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 
is the highest, most sublime, most glorious unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's eternal purpose. And brothers and sisters, I believe that we get an insight. And I'm not alone in this. Many scholars agree with this. If you want to know what Paul preached to a group of people, read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And if you can grasp what's said there, it'll blow your mind. And I'll tell you what, if he preached that kind of gospel to them, I can understand how they lived and loved one another and held on to dear life with one another and stood the pressures of persecution and stood together where he can leave them on their own and come back. It is such a high gospel. My point is that God's eternal purpose is one powerful thing. He'll change your life. Can we break out of our self-centered gospel? Can we stand in an entirely new place where we are not at the center, but where God and his heartbeat stands at the forefront. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. Here's where my heart beats. That there would be a group of people on this planet. That's kind of big. That there would be churches that would have no other reason for existing but for God's eternal purpose. And I'm going to seek to unfold it to you step by step. When I'm finished this weekend, it will not be the final word. It will be the beginning, but I hope you will get a glimpse of how glorious and vast it is. And then I want to talk practically about how to begin to flesh it out. But again, this is an introduction. I will say this now and I will repeat it. This conference will not end here. You all, if you continue to come back, will continue this conference when I leave. And I'm going to explain how to do that. In other words, what is being presented here will be an introduction and my hope is that you will continue in it. But God has an eternal purpose and it is the most important thing in his heart. And brothers and sisters, we're here to look into it and explore it and pursue it together. And this week will be an introduction. I think I'm finished for tonight. You talk about an exciting adventure. You could literally live the rest of your life as a Christian unfolding and exploring the depths of his eternal purpose in Christ. It's, it's that vast. It's almost nine o'clock. Here's what I want to do. Oh, you, baby,